Happy Monday. It is August 17th, 2020. This is Jorge Cruz, and welcome to the Jorge Cruz Show, guys. I've missed you. I've been on hiatus for this summer, and a lot has been going on. Today's show kicks off uh, our return. I am back. I'm thrilled, if you're listening right now, to have you back. Uh, I've missed you. Hope you've had a good summer. I've been busy hard at work. I'll give you a couple updates, but uh, the most important is today's show. I have an incredible special guest. He's the author of a book that has really shifted my thinking this summer. Uh, as you guys know, the saga of my nutritional um, kind of um, research has been really elevated in the last couple of years. Even though I'm a fitness trainer, you know, uh, diet is such an important key to fitness. And it's usually the second question I get after, well, what's this eight-minute method? What do you eat? <laughs> People want a food list. They want to know about intermittent fasting. So on today's show, we sit down with Dr. Uh, he's an incredible doctor, Dr. Sean Baker. He's an orthopedic surgeon who has become a bit of a diet guru. I think this is the man that will eventually replace Dr. Atkins, really, in the sense that he through his work uh, as an orthopedic surgeon. Interesting, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. You know, he worked with a lot of people that couldn't get knee or hip replacements because of their weight, so he would help them lose weight to get ready for the surgery. Then miraculously, a lot of them wouldn't even need the surgery, let alone they lost the weight and kept it off. So uh, today we're going to talk about really the ideal human diet for anyone uh, in that age group, you know, especially if you have inflammation in your joints. There's a lot of his clients, I mean, that's why they came to Dr. Baker was to get replacements for hips and knees. And, uh, and if you're young, hopefully, and don't need that, um, you're going to learn really about how to maximize health through a high fat high protein diet that I've been using. You guys have seen it. We did a podcast not that long ago with Dr. Paul Saladino, who has a similar philosophy, uh, as well as my, my mentor, Mark Sisson. And so Dr. Baker is on the show today. We are going to talk all things carnivore diet. That's the name of his book, best-selling book, The Carnivore Diet. And he's an incredible soul. I had the honor of interviewing him a few weeks ago. And so I'm thrilled that we're finally sharing the interview with you because it really will transform your thinking. I think it's going to blow your mind. So super excited for today's show. We're brought to you by my brand new website, 8 Minutes Live. That's the number 8minuteslive.com. We've got our belly fat cure course available for everyone. Uh, we should be next week sending out the course at long last. We've been, uh, had, we had to move servers. So it's a new server, a new website. Check it out. Add your name to my 8 Minutes Live newsletter. That's brand new. And the website's super simple. It's the number 8, minutes with an S, M-I-N-U-T-E-S, live, L-I-V-E. And uh, I want to invite you to, to join our inaugural email newsletter. So you'll love that. We're also brought to you by Primal Kitchen. Primal Kitchen is where I get a lot of the, the best avocado oil products. It's started by Mark Sisson and he's giving us all a free chipotle lemon mayo made with avocado oil, not the inflammatory soybean oil, corn oil, and all those oils that are um, really based in vegetable oils that are incredibly inflammatory. Primal Kitchen is giving this to us for free, this chipotle lemon mayo. You just need to go to their website, primalkitchen.com forward slash Jorge Cruz, and you'll get it on checkout for free. You're going to love it. 
great, great products. Uh, I've been using them for years. We're also brought to you by Juve. Juve is literally how I started this Monday off. Uh, I'm up early, as you guys know, and I turn on this red light therapy, and uh, it is literally how I maximize my energy, maximize my mood, and they're giving us a free gift with the promo code Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, to simply go to their site. Check it out at J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Jorge great information there and it's really cutting edge in the sense of everything from seasonal mood disorder to improving skin production of collagen etc so with that said are you guys ready i'm so excited for you to meet uh, dr sean baker he's extraordinary again i think he's the next atkins so let's enjoy this conversation it's long i'm going to give you the heads up it's almost 90 minutes but it is truly one of the best interviews i've done in 2020 so i want you guys to enjoy it and please share it with your loved ones let's get started right now. It's a fact. 91% of us have a dangerous amount of belly fat, and it isn't just unsightly. When you have too much belly fat, you're more likely to suffer from aches and pains, low energy, memory loss, and poor sleep, which prevents you from performing your best at work, spending true quality time with your loved ones, and simply enjoying life. The good news is that you can cure belly fat and immediately start to work better, reduce pain, improve memory, and sleep better using simple shortcuts I've gathered. Hi, my name is Jorge Cruz and I'm known as the 8-Minute Life Strategist to the world's busiest celebrities. I've been a fitness, nutrition, and high-performance living strategist for over 25 years. And you may have seen my work with Oprah Winfrey, Khloe Kardashian, President Clinton, Tyra Banks, Dr. Oz, Tony Robbins, or even Steve Harvey. My passion to find the best science-backed fitness shortcuts has allowed me to write over 30 books and become a multiple New York Times bestselling author with over 9 million books in print. And I know I can help you too. Welcome to the Jorge Cruz Show. Well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's Jorge Cruz here, and I have a very special uh, show for us today. I'm super excited to be um, talking to uh, a man who I met just uh, this month. Uh, his name is Dr. Sean Baker. He's the author of an incredible book that I've been reading, uh, incredible book called The Carnivore Diet. And as you guys know, during this COVID-19 window, I've had time to think and I've had time to do some really great conversations and probably three months ago, I think I shared this with everyone, uh, I had a really good hour with Mark Sisson and he's now in Miami and he's the creator of the Primal Kitchen product lines and all the avocado salad dressings and mayonnaise and he's been a mentor of mine for goodness 17 years and I asked Mark what he was doing because he's 67 years young, he looks incredible, he's got a full six pack, he's got great get great skin great energy uh he's grandfather now great family life and he's always walked his talk he has high energy he's up early in the morning he squeezes every drop out of life and he's been my mentor for so many years and and i enjoyed uh really being closer to him when i was in malibu about two years ago and so i talked to mark and he, and i said so what are you doing that's different he says well, i'm eating more meat I was like, you're eating more meat? I said, you've always eaten meat, you know? And he's like, well, I'm eating a little more meat. I said, what do you mean? So then we got into this conversation. It became a podcast. We've now done two podcasts, Mark Sisson and I. So you have to check those out. And then he told me about a book he endorsed uh, by Dr. Paul Saladino uh, called The Carnivore Code, similar to, 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 to Dr. Baker's book here. Uh, came out after Dr. Baker's book. And I read that book. Then I did an interview and a podcast with uh, Paul Saladino, very intriguing 
intriguing conversation, mind blowing kind of. Uh, and now I feel like I'm, I'm so honored because when you pull up a lot of the work out there on a meat based type of diet and, and uh, you know, and it's gaining more momentum, it's, it's a bit of a movement, I think. Uh, there's always one person that always comes up and it's the man that I'm thrilled to introduce to you guys. It's Dr. Sean Baker. Uh, Dr. Baker, can you see us? Can you hear me? Where are you? <laughs> Come on. Hey, I can see you. I can hear you. Thank you, Jorge, for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Hey, no, I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I was, uh, we were talking just before we started the, uh, the conversation here and I was watching your interview with uh, Joe Rogan, which I thought was incredible. And, uh, but so many interviews, we've done so many of these informative conversations that really are mind blowing. I mean, and I think Paul Saladino, um, you know, he's a little younger than you and he's definitely walking his talk, but you're, uh, I, I think you're in between his age and Mark Sisson's age. You're 53, I think. Is that right? Dr. Yeah, I'm 53. Yeah. So 53. And you have an incredible medical background where you're an orthopedic surgeon and you were in the military. You played rugby. You did all this stuff. I mean, I'm kind of, I've been really learning about your history and I feel like I have so many questions. My clients are prompt, uh, primarily women, you know, women over 40. Uh, and I have a lot of women that are intrigued with this because they used to do the Atkins program, which is a kind of keto-based, high-fat, high-protein diet in the 80s. And a lot of my clients are in their 50s now and 60s. I have some in their 70s. Um, you know, I've worked with, with all these different people. And, and I'll tell you, their biggest concern is, is finding a shortcut, obviously, but a healthy one that doesn't have side effects. And a lot of times, you know, there's been this misinformation, I want to call it that, but I'm being a little biased about a meat-based diet because, you know, so many people have um, talked about how meat can be hurtful to the health of, of the human body and we should only have it twice a week. Or what's the recommendation they always whisper, like have it once a week or when they kind of say it's okay, but don't, don't, don't overdo it, right? What, what have you heard? What, what, what's the old, uh, the old myth? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are saying that, you know, make it as a condiment, you know, meat should be just a minor part of your diet and everything else should come and be, be, be made up of a bunch of vegetables, basically yep. grains. And, and that's been the, the standard mantra for quite a while now. And they're kind of doubled down, doubling down on that you know, yeah. as we go forward. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, corporate financial investments that are, that are trying to, trying to convince us to do that. Uh, that is completely misguided evidence, you know, based on, uh, our nutritional science, and I just, I'm just going to come out and say this, the nutritional science in general is a complete fiasco. I mean, it is right. the, yeah. the, the way yeah. we do nutrition science, the way we rely on epidemiologic studies to make uh, sort of prescriptions on how we should eat is, I mean, any other science just laughs at that. Because mm. so, but just, and it's not the fault of the researchers in many cases. It's just such, so hard to do the proper science. And so what, you're, what you have is people trying to say, uh, based on this study of, you know, 200,000 people that we tracked over, you know, 30 years yeah. and we asked them what they ate once or twice in those 30 years and they had to remember what they thought they might have. <laughs> There's so yeah. much, mis, you know, misremembering or people skewing what they think they eat. And then you use that, that really yeah. incredibly bad data. And then they extrapolate over for thir over 30 years and they tell people what they're supposed to eat. And that is, that is just not helpful at all. Well, it seems so complicated, you know, and I think what I love about your plan, it really reminds me of when I first met, because, you know, I've been doing this type of work, writing books as an author for 20 years. Next year's my 20 year anniversary. My first book came out in 2001. And I was really lucky that I had been on the Oprah Winfrey show. And then she had the book in her magazine. I was the 
kind of like in Playboy, the centerfold. I, I was the pullout of her magazine, of O Magazine, and it was a huge honor to be the centerfold of Oprah Magazine in this 2005. And she had all these exercises I was doing. That was my first book, but I've been doing so many more books on nutrition. And I'll tell you, the man who got me to like, to take a breath and not get overwhelmed was Mark Sisson. And this was almost 17 years ago. And you know, Mark, he's 67. So he's our senior quite a bit for both of us. But if you go to his Instagram, you know, he's now in Miami. He has his gorgeous wife, uh, Carrie, who's in phenomenal shape. And I always show people like when, when I saw Steve Harvey at his home for the first time, I, I, took, him, I took him a picture of, of, of a man in his 60s. But, you know, Mr. Harvey was just uh, about 64 at the time. And he's like, He's in his 60s. He was like, no way. It blows people's minds away. But Mark kept it so simple. And, I don't know, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this today because I feel like as much as all that science can show us what we should eat and all that, if we just look at our history at what he calls and what I think the world now um, kind of agrees, it's called ancestral health, right? And we look at our ancestors and we, we kind of dumb it down and just look at what did we eat for the last 2 million years as a species and what happened in the last 100 years, 1,000 years, you go back two, 3,000 years. I mean, the diet has changed here and there. I mean, there was, uh, you know, uh, in biblical times, wine and things like that, but a little bit of bread, but it wasn't like the kind of stuff you see now. And you go back 10, 20,000 years. I mean, how far back do we have to go to make it simple? I don't think it's that far back because I don't think we were as a species, as, as, a, as a race, overweight, full of dis-ease uh, up until the Industrial Revolution. Would you say it was about, you know, just recent times, right? Last 100 years or so, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really, and I just had this conversation a little bit ago. It, it really pains Tell me, me. Uh, in public and see... Yeah. So many people suffering. And I mean, you think yeah. about it, if any other species mm-hmm. had the overall health quality that we have, they'd be extinct. I mean, can you imagine, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine a herd of zebras in Africa <laughs> where they were all walking around with achy joints and overweight belly fat, you know, if that they was would, possible, they right? would be wiped out within minutes by all the lions. It'd be like, this is easy picking. So we've got this right. absolute disconnect between what humans are supposed to eat and what we currently, what is supposed to be food. And, and the, you know, the food companies, I mean, to their credit, they, they get a lot of calories out there. They get a lot of good mm-hmm. food out there, mm-hmm. but it is not food designed for humans. I mean, this mm. is the equivalent of human pet food. And we see what happens to our pets. Wow. We have overweight obese pets. And so we are yeah, yeah. insisting on human pet food. And that wow, is- Wow, that's a great way to, that's a great uh, mind-blowing phrase. Say it one more time, human pet food. Human pet food. That is what we are being asked to eat. And, and this is where, and wow. it's very profitable. Think about it. How profitable. And especially if we eat all day, three days, three meals a day, sometimes they've invented the fourth meal. I remember Taco Bell came out with that midnight meal. I mean, what are you doing eating at midnight? <laughs> just be sleeping. And well, it's just insane how, how we, it really has been a financial kind of business that has encouraged us. Don't you think more than anything? Oh, of course. Yeah, we'll I mean, it, 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 it's, and, and, and it makes sense from a business standpoint. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think we would be all very, very sadly disappointed to, to learn that, guess what? The businesses want to make money and our, <laughs> our health is not, is not the primary concern. And, no, you know, no. And then, so, well, so let's start with this because I think you have a unique perspective as much as you have a diet that's meat-based that you've written about and you talk about and you have this clinical study, which we're going to get into. We'll do it all at the end. We'll tell everyone where they can find out where to, to, to find you. And you've got this incredible study that obviously everyone listening should, should participate in and contribute if they 
can. But I feel like you have this unique background because you were athletic growing up. I remember reading and hearing about your rugby, but you were going to medical school, took a little time off, then went back, finished that. And you have this background in surgery with bones orthopedics. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I can go yeah. into my story if you want me to run through Well, that. why don't we do this? Tell everyone the mini version of how that happened, because obviously you were athletic, and I'm sure you know, you've helped a lot of people that, I mean, my mother had a hip replacement many, many years ago. She's passed now, but I remember how much she suffered, and I'm sure you saw countless people suffering, and, and orthopedics really can help, but, uh, but I remember you saying something about, like, I forget if you were stationed in the US or if you were overseas in your Joe Rogan interview, you were talking about how you notice certain people when they changed their diet, they got healthier. And even, I don't know if it was connected to the bones getting healthier and all that, or just their overall health. But I think a light bulb may have gone on in your head when you were trans, when you were still healing people, if you will, or helping people uh, get out of pain. And now you definitely are still doing it in a very different way, you know, not through surgery and a knife. But yeah, tell us a little bit of the story because, and then, you know, take us to where, where you had that moment where you, you shifted and you, you kind of stopped. I mean, how many years ago did you stop performing orthopedics and all that? Has it been uh, quite a while? So it's been uh, right at five years. It'll be ah. another month or so. It'll be five years. So basically, you know. Yeah, tell uh, us again, the story, please. Yeah. yeah. So a lifelong athlete. I've been an athlete since I was a little kid. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed pushing my body. I was able to achieve you know, world records in a number of different sports over the years. I was a, uh, you know, a, a national record-breaking powerlifter as a directory powerlifter, deadlifted 772 pounds. Incredible. Uh, went on to, uh, you know, I played rugby at an extremely high level at a semi-professional level, moving to New Zealand to do that. Uh, lived there for a while. I came back and played for the Armed Forces team, the all-Western United States team, the Combined Services team. And you're a good guy to have on the team because if I, and not that we've met in person yet, but you're a big man, tall, and yeah, yeah. you had some muscle behind you. How tall are you? Like 6'4", six, 6'3"? Six, I'm 6'5". I mean, oh, I, I'm, I'm about 240 pounds now. It, yeah. It, at my peak, I was close to 300 as, as, a, as a big throwing athlete. So you so. were very much an athlete, to say the big, least. Yeah, yeah I, I, won the, I went on to throwing, took, I was All-American track and field as Wow. Thrower, a master thrower. I went on to throw the Highland Games, which is where you put on a kilt and run around and throw these telephone poles and shut. No way. Tele Did you say telephone poles? Well, they're called cabers, but they look like mini telephone poles, basically. Oh my. So With a kilt on. With a kilt on, yeah. So You're not well, scared of wearing a kilt, hey. You know. I'm not. And, I, and I, <laughs> I was able to win the world championship in that as a master's athlete. And then I went on to this rowing craziness, this concept uh -huh. too. Yeah. Uh, and I like broke, crew or what? Uh, well, it was it was it was basically what they see. Like if you go to CrossFit, you've got these machines that everybody competes on, and they have oh, these, yeah. these indoor competitions every year, and thousands of people compete. And I, and I broke three world records on that. And uh, so never on the water, just indoors. Simple, yeah, I just don't have time to go on the water because it's 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 oh, it's, it's a process. It's a production. Yeah. So I, oh, I, it is. It's yeah. the same physiology. It's what the Olympic rowers do. Wow. And at fifty, I broke the world record by such a huge margin that I was, my times exceeded some of the 20 year old world records. And this is three record. years ago or so, right? Yeah. This is right when I turned 50. And, I, and this is just after about six months after I transitioned to this carnivore diet. So I've been an athlete my whole wow. life. Wow. Um, and so I obviously know a lot about sports and training and all that part, but the nutrition part, quite honestly, didn't come to me. I didn't start messing so much with nutrition or taking a real notice until I was in my early forties when despite mm -hmm. training extremely hard, I mean, I was putting in the work. 
I was noticing that, hey, I'm not where I want to be. I've got metabolic syndrome. I've got sleep apnea. I've got higher blood pressure. I don't feel as good. And so then I went to- You're a physician. So I'm I mean- a physician. So I'm You like, probably did the test. Do, do, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's weird to test yourself, but do, would you test yourself or you just have your buddies? Well, I mean, I just knew how I felt. And I, you yeah, know, I could yeah. tell what my blood pressure- I'd have the nurses take my blood pressure and it was a little high. And I was like, this yeah, isn't good. Man. I'm a physician. I'm not a dummy. Now, you weren't overweight. You weren't a fat doctor. No. Well, I wasn't fat, but I was big. I mean, I was, I was you know, 285 pounds. At six and we're not five. talking all muscle then. Well, I mean, you know- in retrospect, when I go back and look at pictures, you can like, see a little yeah. bit of belly fat hidden. I was like I, I was bigger than I wanted to be, right? Yeah, you know, a little here and there. I mean, when you're that tall, it right. doesn't. It's not as noticeable. It's right? not as noticeable. But you know, now in my fifties, I've got a six pack. I'm lean as ever. Oh my gosh! Life. You know, I'm just yeah. You know, no, you look gorgeous. amazing, and you you put yeah. these pictures up where. Yeah people are like, wow, you look like you're half your age, you know? Right. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, obviously there's training goes in, but the diet has made a difference. So in my forties, you know, when I realized this, I was like, okay, I can't just, cause my philosophy before was I'm going to eat what I want, but I'm going to train out, I'm going to out train it. And that lasted until it lasted. And then mm. for me, it was mid early forties. And then it, then it was just like, it doesn't work anymore. Can't out train a poor diet. Yeah, right. Right. So then I, then I went into all these different dietary schemes and the first diet I tried was, and it was effective. I went on a low fat, high fiber, lots of vegetables, lean meat diet. And I dropped from, I went from 285 to 230 in three months. Wow. So very, would you call that paleo-ish, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely more of a sort of a plant-based sort of, sort of diet uh, with lean cuts of meat. Um, like fish but, and chicken, probably yeah, not as much chicken, beef right, and not right, fatty absolutely. beef. Right. Not at all. Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have embraced that. Do you remember years ago, that book called the South beach diet? Remember? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Kind of so, like that. So, okay. I yeah. think you got a lot of people's attention because they've all yeah. done that. So you yeah. did that did and you that. were happy. You got results. Well, no, I wasn't happy. Right. I got results, but I felt miserable. Whoa, I was okay, grouchy. So. I was hungry. The nurses said, Dr. Baker, we l- much prefer the, 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 the more rotund doctor. Baker, because you're quite honest. You're, <laughs> what did they call of, you? The rotund? Well, I mean, that was a nice, but you know, we like the yeah, fat Dr. Baker nice. better or whatever, because you, you know, you're kind of becoming an ass. You're, you're grouchy, you're, sna- you're snapping, you're, no you don't have much patience because I was constantly thinking about food. I was constantly hungry. You're always hungry. Yeah. And I couldn't maintain that. I knew, despite being a disciplined person, I'm a person who's very disciplined. I mean, I am, you know, I don't mind pushing my body as hard as I can, but there's only so long you can do that with hunger. And in yeah. my, experience in doing this for many years now and seeing thousands of people that have gone through diets. I think two common things occur when you, when you fail. One is you're dealing with hunger constantly and two, you don't enjoy what you're eating. And so I, per, I didn't really like eating a bunch of salads all the time. It didn't really satiate me. It wasn't yeah. something I looked forward to. It was kind of like a penance. It's like, oh, I got to do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I made the transition. And then, and then like you pointed, Mark Sisson was an influence on me. Yeah. I read his book. I went on yeah. a more paleo diet, yeah. uh, you know, and then I went on a prime, you know, primal diet. Let, this ancestral health. Was he right, kind of right. the first guy to bring that out to you? Or did you know about this way of eating like our yeah, ancestors? I think, I think, you know, like guys like Rob Wolf, who was a, who yeah. wrote the paleo solution and Mark, Mark uh, Sisson's who's, you know, uh, primal blueprint. I'd read both those books. Mm-hmm. I got into those things. I noticed, more satiety. I noticed better sustainability, you know, and I still was able to maintain the lower, you know, levels of of body fat. But then, you know, I just got really, really interested in nutrition and I started studying it passionately. I was reading the, obviously the popular books, but I was also getting into the primary literature. And then 
as I got success, you know, and then I transitioned into a more of a low car approach and then eventually a ketogenic approach, I started to see, and that was kind of for me, uh, going from this low fat to the high fat approach for me. So it was low was, fat when you were doing the South Beach version right, of paleo, right, whatever, right, and, right. and you were grouchy and all that. Right, right. It's, and then it's, as you increased the fat and protein, or was it more fat? Uh, it was initially more fat. Uh, it was kind of more ketogenic macronutrient ratios. I mean, I was never, it was, I was never a person that never ate meat. I mean, I always had that as part of my diet, but but not often. When, yeah. when I did that, it was like a, a flip switch, a switch flip for me that I was like, wow, satiety. I don't need to eat every two or three hours. That was enlightening to me. And at the same time, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon who's replacing people's knees and shoulders and hips and dealing with trauma and doing sports medicine and all this stuff and taking care of fracture care, we were having, you know, we see a lot of patients that are dealing with obesity and a lot, and particularly a lot of women in their mid, in their fifties and sixties that are they're struggling with weight and their knees hurt and they've got arthritis. And it was, it was, it was something like if their BMI was in excess of 35 or whatever, we were like, we have to have them lose weight before we can safely do a surgery on them. And so wow. we were trying to figure out what can you do to have people lose weight? And I would, you know, at that time, this is before I'd kind of, uh, you know, figured out what worked for me. I would say, Hey, you need to lose weight, you know, maybe eat a little less, get in the gym, start working out, have a salad and, or yeah, have a salad, whatever. <laughs> and it never really worked very well, or they might yeah. lose a couple pounds and then we'd say, good job, keep going. And then they would come back three months later and they'd have gained three pounds. Okay. And then they're in the office crying because their knee hurts so much. And you just say, okay, you know, we're going to do the operation anyway. You're just going to oh. be at high risk. And it was very frustrating wow. for both me and for them. I totally get it. How it was yeah. so connected. The weight was connected to the surgeries. You couldn't, sure, sure. I remember my mother had, uh, she didn't have weight loss to, to deal with, but she had to go through a lot of tests and that was one of it, you know, that. And, and because the more weight, the more pressure on the joint and when it's healing, it can be more adverse, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things and I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but one of the things, you know, we see is that, um, you know, with, with weight comes inflammation. You know, when you mm. have excess body fat, that drives yes, yes. a lot of this joint pain. And where there's studies are coming out now that show that, that, that you know, some of the uh, fluid in the joints, the synovial fluid, which is that lubricating fluid in the mm -hmm. joint, mm -hmm. uh, when we have extremely high levels of insulin, uh, we see that those synoviocytes put out these inflammatory cytokines, which irritate the joint and drive arthritic change. So it's just as much and probably more so a metabolic effect, a biological effect, more so than directly the weight. Because you think about it, we have people that have arthritis in their fingers. Yeah. How do we just how do we justify that based on weight? People aren't walking on their fingers. We have people with arthritis in their neck. People's heads aren't getting fat. And it's more diet based right. than it so is the so the pressure right. of right. walking on your feet Absolutely. or something. Absolutely. Now and that comes from diet. But that comes from you know diet and lifestyle. But wow. as I started to get people on uh, diets that were, you know, and, and trying to figure out what worked. And so they, they did, these low carb, or I mean, low fat diets didn't work to yeah. re effectively reduce weight for surgery. So we'd send some people to bariatric surgeons and they have, you know, they have a gastric bypass or gastric sleeve whatever, or whatever they chose. Wow. And, and that was, in my view, a really, that's really a loss. I mean, I don't think yeah. I consider that a win. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, almost tragic quite honestly and but some people had to do this in order to even get the, the surgery done in their knee or their hip right they had to lose right. the weight absolutely do you have absolutely. a patient in mind that, that that had the surgery how much weight did they have to lose and obviously 
I mean, I've worked publicly with people like Al Roker who had uh, the gastric, you know, and right. he's put some on and taken it off, but it's yeah. a struggle and, and it does help. But, and, and did it help some of your patients back then? Well, I mean, acutely, it, you know, temporarily? Kind of they might lose the 50 pounds or the 80 yeah. pounds or the 100 pounds they might need to lose. But, you know, if, if we look at the long-term results, you know, higher rates of depression, suicide, alcoholism, they, many of them do gain weight back. Wow. They don't fix the... The they're still hungry, right? No, they're still hungry. And the, and the psychologists go, so it's, it's not really, I don't consider that a, a long-term win. You might see better um, you know, diabetes numbers yeah. initially, but it's not the best option out there. But wow. so when we have, so then as I started putting people on these lower carb ketogenic diets, one, they would lose weight. And this is kind of interesting. I had a fellow who was 380 pounds and he needed, literally needed both shoulders and both knees replaced. And he was, wow. he was at high extreme risk for complication for anesthetic and for infection with, with that, with that everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, I put him on the diet and within two months he, he dropped something like, uh, 40 pounds. And then by three or four months, he's down 75 pounds and we're getting him in a place where he can have surgery. Unfortunately, his internal medicine doctor said, well, it's not safe to lose so much weight so quickly, which was shocking oh to me because he'd been what? going to this guy, right, he'd been going <laughs> oh, to this guy for 20 years as his doctor. And I said, look, you've been going to this guy for 20 years and you're still close to 400 pounds. What, where is a cognitive dissonance here that you can't figure out that, look, losing weight is healthy and, and, and this is what we're doing. But the more exciting, and this is what really, really opened my eyes up, is mm. I would put people on these diets and they would come back to me two weeks later and they might not have lost anything significant. You know, they might've been 320 mm. pounds and maybe they got down to 310, 305, mm. you know, not much, not, not a tremendous amount. And they would say, I have no more pain whatsoever in my knee. And these are people that we were going to do surgery on. And that really- whoa, whoa. So say this one more time for everyone watching, listening at home. So you had people that were getting some sort of surgery from you, like a knee replacement right. or a hip that you got them on this diet so they could lose weight, so they could just be able to have the surgery uh, without danger or without excessive danger. And they would do it for a few weeks, few months, right? Well, they would do it, you know, sometimes within a few days to a few weeks, they Boom. would really have zero pain. And what were they eating? Would you, you have them eat some meat and all yeah, that? Or was, still was, back then, what was it? No, it was meat. It was fat. It was a little bit of vegetables. It was definitely like a ketogenic approach. Okay. And to me... Uh, we ended up canceling these people's surgeries because they didn't wow. need it anymore. So they they avoided this is incredible. They avoided a surgery, uh, and you know, to me that was exciting. That, that really like reinvigorated my belief as being a physician. Even though it kind of put you out of business a little bit, right? Technically, well, it absolutely did not help my my my. <laughs> My I mean, you're the only doctor that's happy that he's not doing his work, but I totally get it because if you're here to help people and you take that oath that all physicians have to take, right? Yeah. I mean, it really should be that. Uh, and so when, when this would happen, like for this, this example you were saying, they didn't have the surgery at all, didn't have to. I mean, how do you explain that to someone watching this or listening? They're like, well, that's impossible. I have this inflammation. How, how is changing my diet going to make my joints feel less painful? You know, and yes, I lost 10 pounds or 20 pounds, but explain in a nutshell. And then we're, let's dive into the diet because then yeah. I'm guessing we're near to the point where you finally had that, that, 
that epiphany, I'm sure, sure. And you switched lanes a little bit, even though you're still in the same direction of healing and helping people. But now through your book, through your, your, all, all your organization, your work, because you're no longer performing surgeries, right, right Dr. Rick? Yeah, correct. No, I'm, so, I'm performing uh, life-changing interventions, which yes. is my With nutrition. Much, much more rewarding for both me and for the people. I, I, well, I, and explain I, for us in a nutshell, how do you explain in a, in a simple way, like if they had joint pain, in their hands, yeah. their hips, their whatever, shoulders, whatever is hurting. You go on this diet, so you lose weight, so you can have the surgery, and then you don't have the surgery because you don't have pain there anymore. Right. If someone says, how's that possible? What, what would you say to them in a simple way? Well, I would say that you know, the reason you want to have the surgery in the first place is because you're in pain. That's, that's an underlying yeah. primary reason. If you no yeah. longer have pain, unless there's some extreme deformity or something like that, mm -hmm. you generally don't need surgery. I mean, this mm -hmm. is the whole reason. We have to put what, why would I want to have surgery if I had zero pain and my function was good? doesn't make sense. But what's going on is there is a systemic underlying inflammatory uh, situation that is affecting the joints, affecting all of, basically all of our body systems. Mm. In fact. And it's not just joint pain. We, I, I can, there are, th there are literally almost every chronic condition responds well to this sort of treatment, this lifestyle and diet treatment. This is just something I see. Daily. So basically the inflammation would start to, and it's, and, and it, describe for us what that is like in someone's body who's eating the standard. I'm assuming they were all eating a standard American diet, right? Which is high carb. What, how would you phrase the current diet that most people are eating? It's like 50, 60, 80% carbs. And maybe what would you guess? What, what, what have you heard recently? Well, what, I mean, if we look at the standard American diet, and that's been analyzed very well, it's around 55 to 60% carbohydrate. But the problem is most of that tends to be refined grain, sugars, high fructose mm -hmm. corn syrup, industrialized seed oils, yeah. uh, perhaps, you know, soybeans and things like that. that. That's the majority of the American diet. And, you know, there's, yeah, there's some fruits and vegetables in there. Uh, and yes, there's some animal products in there. Most of it is quite honestly by, by volume, it's dairy. And then there's a little yeah. bit of meat. You know, the average American only eats about two ounces of, of beef per day, which is a tiny, tiny amount wow. that we wow. have people blaming beef for all of our woes. But really, I think it's becoming quite clear it's these other things. Uh, now, anything eaten in excess to where you gain weight and you put on excess body fat is going to cause an inflammatory milieu or an inflammatory environment. And so it's not just inflammation. And, and there's, you have to, we have to understand that there is some infl inflammation in our body that is normal and necessary yeah. and good. Yeah. yeah. When we exercise, we develop a little inflammatory response and then we sort of respond to that. But there's this chronic underlying inflama inflammation. It's not the inflammation yeah. completely. It's the response to inflammation. It's the response to the insult. And so there are things that are going on. It could be glycation, excess levels of blood mm -hmm. sugar are causing damage to proteins, which are causing dysfunction and, and you know, things are starting to just kind of fall apart. And so we see that in our joints. We see that really quite honestly in all of our systems in our body. And so it's glycation. It may be excess oxidative stress. It may be some of these oils that we're exposed to that quite honestly didn't enter the human diet, you know, from since like canola uh, oil, yeah, corn since, oil, soybean oil. 100, 120 years old. I mean, the human yeah. species has been around, if we believe in an evolutionary scenario, we've been around as humans, mm -hmm. not just homo sapiens, but humans going mm -hmm. back to homo habilis almost 3 million years. And so three million, these yeah. things are so novel to the human diet, they're not even human food. And yeah. so when you put this, if we sit there and literally poison another animal, we're going to see the effects. Mm -hmm. And I would argue some of these foods that we've been exposed to, particularly some of the recent ones are 
sort of low-level toxins, the low-level, you could, you could use the word poison if you want to be hyperbolic, but it has an effect. Now, we test for the acute effects. Just, if we give these people this food, you know, if the FDA approves, you know, here's something interesting. The, the uh, USD or the FDA just approved cotton for human consumption. Cotton? Uh, cotton. 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 Cotton plant, and we grow T-shirts out. We You're kidding. Right. So there's a, there's a substance in As cotton. a fiber? or what, 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 as a, what as you... a, Basically as a protein, basically. So we're protein? Gonna be, we're going to be seeing cotton added to processed food, just like we have methyl cellulose, which is sawdust, You're added kidding. to our human diet. Now, and what is sawdust? Methyl? Methyl cellulose. So when you see methyl cellulose as an added product in your food, it's basically sawdust. It's a nice way to say sawdust without saying it. It's a nice way to say it. sawdust. And so we're eating this. Wow. And why is it? Why is it? Because it's cheap. It's a source of fiber, I guess. And it, you know, it expands the volume. So if you put 10% of your product as sawdust, you know, that's 10% profit you're saving, basically. Wow. You know? So it's, this is a human diet that we're faced with. And this is not what we're designed to be eating, clearly. Yeah. Whatever you believe we ate 100,000 years ago or you know, 1 million years ago. It is not what we're eating now. And so it has. Tremendous- well, take us back. So, so let's go back. Let's go, let's go big. Let's not go 3 million or 2 million. Let's do, let's call it half a million from, from now. Where yeah. were our ancestors? Because I always think of Marxist in simple explanation yeah, sure. that so, we're this species. We've been around up to 3 million years mm-hmm. and our bodies have adapted to a certain routine and ritual right. of, of right. what we could do uh, for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, and, and we get the picture of where we were. You had this light bulb go off. You gave them this healthier version of a diet. And then we'll get into that as well. I want to know what the diet is in the book that you have. But um, so take us back now. We, we know what years. we're going through today, but what was it like half a million years ago? Yeah, I think that's not a bad place to start. And I think it's yeah. important to show the transitions occurred since then. So half a million years ago, we were transitioning between Homo erectus and not quite homo sapien yet. Homo sapien came in arguably 300,000, maybe 400,000 years. So we were just in that transition time. Mm-hmm. Homo erectus had perfected hunting megafaunal animals. And these are primarily uh, these animals, these called, animals called propsidians, which are the mammoths, the elephants, the mastodons. They were able to kill them efficiently, effectively, and pretty much whenever they wanted. These animals were abundant throughout the earth human population numbers were very small. So we were literally at an all you can eat, basically fatty meat buffet. We had that anytime we wanted it. We could preserve it by drying, by sickening it in ice. We could do underwater preservation techniques were all known to do to occur. Mm. Anywhere you find Homo erectus remains, typically you often find these large megafaunal animals. And so elephants were the prime source. We would go after some of the other, you know, rhinoceri and some of the bigger other, you know, uh, you know, oryx and things like that. But that was our primary source of food. Incredible. You know, These we, large animals. Large animals. It's, it's just it's, it's for bang for your buck. If you think about it, yeah. if I have to hunt an animal that runs away really fast and is really lean like we do now, like an antelope, versus I've got a relatively slow-moving animal that doesn't run away. Elephants don't run away. I've been to yeah. Africa. When you go into Serengeti, you yeah. come across a bunch of animals, <laughs> elephants, they don't run from you. They turn and look at you and go, what are you going to do, little man? Because we're you know, 20, 30 times your size. Tiny, yeah. So, but, when you, but when humans developed this spear technology, and, and you know, particularly, uh, you know, that was a great- Changed the game. Yeah. Changed the game. And so these elephants were literally sitting, sitting ducks. And so we feasted on that until- that ran out. And so somewhere between 125 to 25,000 years ago, depending upon where in the world you were, we saw the megafaunal populations dramatically die off. 
uh, either we overhunted them, we affected their environment in some way where they couldn't compete anymore, or climate events caused you know their yeah. extinction. So regardless of what you believe happened, it happened. And so starting somewhere in that time frame, humans had to start eating leaner animals. And with mm. leaner animals, we had to develop different technology. We developed bow and arrow technology maybe mm. 60,000 years ago. So now we're hunting these lean animals. And guess what? There's not as much energy. We're getting protein. Our protein needs are being met. And probably for, for a normal human being, about 30% of your calories coming from protein is pretty standard from an ancestral standpoint. Right now, we less eat, fatty animals, right? These were less you know, we, fatty. We were forced to eat less fatty animals. And so what we would do is we might have harvested the viscera, the brain, the bone marrow, which we, you know, we, we, we'd sought out fat the whole time. But before fat was much easier. When you hunt large animals are fattier, just by definition, they have to be. Yeah. So you've got all this fat you can eat and that provides your energy needs. And you think about growing this brain, when you go from Australopithecus, 300 cc brain all the way up to say Neanderthal, which had a 1700 percent or 1700 cc brain, more than a 500 percent increase in brain size. Hmm. Uh, it required steady, constant supply of high quality nutrition, high volume, high calorie food, and that came through animal fat. So once we started to hunt these smaller animals, uh, then we had to figure out different strategies. And all the modern indigenous tribes have figured out different strategies for how do I supplement my, my diet that is now deficient in animal fat. I've got to figure out what plants I can eat. I'll eat more fruit. I'll eat more tubers. I'll eat more. And eventually we'll develop agriculture. 12,000. More for survival, not for, th for survival. Well, trying to thrive yeah. as we did trying, originally. Trying, trying to get energy, right? To, to, but to supplement. Us. But guess what happens? Mm. Guess what happens to human beings? Tell us. Our brains shrink. Our brain literally shrunk 200 cc's from say a peak of 125, 150,000 years ago to when agriculture was adopted. So our brain shrunk 200 cc's, our skeleton, our size, we dropped six inches in height, our dentition just became horrible, our teeth started to rot out, yeah. and, and our bone became very fragile. So we went from this robust, strong, you know, larger brain creature to a smaller brain creature with less, less physicality. And, uh, you know, the argument for people say, well, they didn't live as long. Well, that's not true at all. Ancient humans, and, and, and there's very good evidence that they lived to 70 and 80 if they avoided, uh, yeah. you know, uh, violence and infections. Injuries. And, and infection. they had such high infant mortality yeah. rates that yeah. the overall population average might have been yeah. 30, 35 or 25 or 30, but individuals would still live to 75, 80 years of age. That's pretty clear now. Uh, mm -hmm. And also we know that when we look at the skeletons, how we evaluate them is based on how we evaluate skeletons now. And so when I look at an, an x-ray of somebody in their 50s and they've got arthritis, that's typical for that person. But if that person was never exposed to, say, grains and some mm -hmm. of the things that we eat in a modern diet, their skeleton may look very, very different. But we don't know. Wow. That. Even anthropologists wow. say, hey, we don't know how to really truly date these, these ancient skeletons. But there's clearly some that are, that are showing that they live a lot longer than they did. So the argument that they didn't live very long is not a really valid argument, quite honestly. Right, right. So for all this time period, we were eating meat, in essence, and fattier originally. Then we supplemented with other options as these animals were less uh, available. Take us to what happened, maybe bring us closer to the future so we can get to today's diet. Because obviously, it was it the Industrial Revolution that really you know, pardon my French here, but fucked it all up for all of us. Was it, was it, uh, I always read about uh, Dr. Harvey Kellogg, you know, Mr. Kellogg's cornflakes. <laughs> and we created the cornflake to help his patients, you know, because they weren't 
pooping supposedly and all that. And then he created the term break fast, even though it was two words before, you know, there wasn't even the word breakfast, you know, but don't, don't go, don't, don't let's end there, but take us Bridget from where were we half a million years ago to then it was transitioning. Take us to the next jump. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously we have the domestication of animals and agriculture, mm-hmm. but early on, you know, animal domestication, really, we use those to plow fields. We didn't eat the cows. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like, oh, these cows are too valuable. So really the only people that had high quality nutrition once the agricultural age started were really the, the wealthy. You know, you see the kings and the, 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 the royalty or the, you know, the, the, the people higher up in the, in the civilization uh, status chain were the ones that had access to this. And then the, the, the sort of everyone else was eating kind of a peasant food diet, which was grain heavy, maybe a few dirty vegetables, and maybe you might get lucky and get a small amount of animal products, maybe some organ meats as people were, you know, a lot of people found them to be not as palatable. And so this is, you know, this, we have this relationship existing all the way up into uh, really modern farming, quite honestly, where we started to have access to greater and greater quantities of animal products. But as we got into this industrial age, you know, we, we were able to mass produce food. We were able to, you know, as we saw population, you know, if we look at the earth's population a hundred years ago, it has exploded since then because we've been able to mm-hmm. import massive amounts of grain and wheat and corn and soybean. And what we feed the earth on that, on these, on these handful yeah. of, of, of grains. And so what we see is, yes, we're able to sustain a larger population, but the individual health of that population is very, very poor. And so, so we've uh, grown, expanded, but the quality of our health, because we're, down, we're using yeah. all these supplements, we're no longer really eating the meat as much. You said only two ounces. Is that about right? In the American diet, yeah, the average American eats around two, two ounces of beef per, per day. Uh, we actually get as many, actually now more calories from soybean oil today oh. than we do from beef. And Which is soy. incredibly inflammatory incredibly important. well there's good arguments to be made that that is the case and so oh. uh but you know you know like i said just to kind of move things along a little bit um you can you can talk about all this ancestral self which i think helps is a framework but i really talk about and i think it's the most important thing is what happens to people in 2020 when yeah. you put them on a diet that focuses on meat often to the case where that's the only thing they eat and i know it's very controversial but i will tell you what happens because I deal with, I spent every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, talking to hundreds of people that are doing this in their lives. And without very much exception, I see people that are no longer sick, no longer inflamed, no longer depressed, no longer overweight, no longer diabetic, no longer suffering from autoimmune disease or gastrointestinal issues. And this is, you know, in my view, this has been the most powerful intervention I've ever experience in my career as a healthcare provider. I mean, there's been nothing as effective and as powerful. Now, does everybody need to do that? No, I don't believe that. But for those people that are suffering and we, and I, you know, it, it really breaks my heart when I see people, uh, men, women, whatever, that go from doctor to doctor to mm-hmm. doctor and all they get is another pill or a referral to another specialist yep. and yep. another test. And they've sp- and they've wasted decades and countless dollars and they're just suffering and they're miserable. And yep. it's a shame. It's avoidable. And it's what drives me every day to get up in the morning and do what I do. Mm-hmm. And I know this is, like I said, this is my passion. 
And this is why it's so important. And like I said, I'm, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm well, doing I think uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast, I think you or he said that it, that really eating this meat-based, beef-based type of diet, and, and let's get into it because I have a few questions I want to throw out there that my clients have asked me to ask you. But I feel like obviously your book, The Carnivore Diet, says it. It's a meat-based diet, but it's become, I think what you said on his podcast was, or he said it, it was a, a kind of a panacea for health, really, that a meat-based diet takes us back to where we were 500,000 years ago and, and, and all that time prior, I'm sure, where, there, I mean, everything from your teeth being healthier to your waistline being smaller to no inflammation. I mean, you could function as, as a species and be productive and, and, and have beautiful families and grow and expand and all that. I mean, and, and I feel like this is not the case now, even though we're bigger now, because, you know, we're, as, a, as a species, we're how many billions? Is it seven billion or eight yeah, billion? Seven, seven, seven or seven, eight, something like that. It's growing. Out. And we're all, how many, I mean, more than half are ill, wouldn't you say, if it's not the majority? Yeah, I mean, Western Western society, uh, you know, developed countries, we have so much, you know, obesity and, and metabolic dysfunction. Uh, yeah. You know, there's still parts of the world where food insecurity and, and starvation are still issues. But yeah, we, we have, a, I would say, a huge swath of our population is not even close to being healthy. Absolutely. Well, let's do this. I would love to do two things before, uh, as we're running short on time here. I'm good for a little longer. Are you good for a little while? 10, 15 I, more minutes? I can keep going or we can do round two, either one. Well, I, I feel like we're going to do a round two, but, sure. but let's try to, I, I want to give people watching and listening enough information so they could try something like today, I hope, you know, when they sure. hear this, whenever they hear this, but your book is a key, key tool. But in essence, walk us through, uh, obviously now we understand how you came up with this. Obviously it was out of your work and, and what an incredible way to, to, to help people, you know, not knowing that you would become someone who's not necessarily a, a, a diet doctor, you know, you're not Dr. Atkins, but you're definitely doing that kind of work now. And I think he was a heart surgeon or a heart doctor, wasn't he at one point? That's what he did originally. Uh, yeah, I believe he was a cardiologist. Yeah. Cardiologist. So it just seems to happen when, it, when there's that passion. And I feel I can sense your genuine concern for people's well-being and, and suffering is hard. I mean, I, I lost my mom 20 years ago, but she had this, uh, toxemia, but she took, she had this hip pain. And I'm sure you've heard of people that have had issues with joint pain and they'll take too much ibuprofen. And she did that for about a year or two. And then her kidneys weren't functioning. And then she was going to go on dialysis and then she passed. So it was really sad to see her in extreme pain, both from her hip and then from her, you know, and you've heard of this, you know, this, this overuse of ibuprofen uh, causing uh, the tissues to break down. And she was super inflamed and, and her body, her joints, she had in her fingers, she had inflammation in all her joints. I mean, it looked like there were deformities, you know, my poor mom and she had these hip problems. She had so many problems. So I know that I have that passion. It's why I do what I do to help people overcome that. I was overweight and all that. And, you know, and I feel like at one point you definitely have struggled with your best self. And, and obviously, you know, your nurses and your, your staff said, Hey, we like the old Dr. Baker and, and he's back. Obviously they're not complaining anymore. Not that you see them, but tell us in a nutshell, this, this diet. And then I want to ask you, because you had some really great indicators and I thought maybe we could end with that. And then we'll do round two uh, at another time. But I think, you know, like measuring health. And I know a lot of my clients, um, you know, I know one of the things that Joe Rogan pointed out when you guys talked was uh, your 
your, your concern with blood tests and not that they're bad. They definitely give you some insight, but some people make it the one and only insight. And I know, I don't know if you currently have done any of that stuff, but maybe you can share about these tests and what are some simple tests we can end on maybe that men and hopefully women can, can just, I mean, obviously Dr. Oz told me years ago that your waistline is the greatest indicator of good health, right? A small waistline indicates good health. So obviously I believe in that. I think both men and women can do that. I know you go into other ways they can measure good health. So we can talk about that. But before we get to that, uh, tell us in a nutshell, because people are going to be thinking, so is this just a meat, just eat meat? This is the diet that the panacea for health is eat beef or, you know, what kind of meat is it? And then I know people are going to say, well, I don't have a budget, but I love that you don't believe it has to be always grass fed. It can be more just everyday meat and much better than eating Doritos and, you know, pasta and pizza and all that. But take us into the, the, the concept of what is this book you wrote, this concept of the carnivore diet. In a nutshell, is it just meat or something else? and then get into maybe how, what kind of meat, because obviously people are going to be thinking, oh, I don't know if I can afford this, but you know, people have that concern. And then we'll end with maybe some of the ways people can measure their health today as well. But uh, tell us, so is this a meat-based diet? Obviously the answer I think is yes, but take it further for us. Give us a little more detail. Yeah. One of the, one of the reasons I select the name carnivore diet, because it, it clearly indicates you're going to be eating meat and meat is yeah. a- So the way I design it when I give lectures on this, again, this is not, I want to be clear, this is not reverse veganism. This is not an ideology. This is not a a diet that is based on, you know, a certain belief system. This is a diet that is based on results. And as such, I like to define it as say it is a diet that focuses on animal-based nutrition. So it could be meat, it could be fish, it could be eggs, it could be dairy. Uh, But you will limit or exclude, you know, plant-based foods. And, and this is a real important as needed. And that's, I think that as needed part is very important in there. It's the caveat. Yeah. For the goal of improving health. So, I mean, our goal is to improve health. We do what we need to do, but clearly the focus is on animal products, right? And so what those And just for, for anyone out there who doesn't remember the word carnivore, it doesn't yeah. mean just beef. It's just animal based. How would you define that properly? Yeah. So it can be any sort of animal based food. So it could be fish, okay. it could be okay. cow, it could be lamb, it could be, you know, it could be goat, it could be, you know, octopus. It could does be, it include dairy and eggs? People are It wondering. does. It can include dairy and eggs. And I, you know, the caveat I, I often say is sometimes dairy for people is something they have to walk a little, little bit gingerly around because some people dairy is still problematic. And so I yeah. tell people, do you have to really kind of be cognizant of that fact that dairy can be an issue for some people? Um, and, and then again, there are people that will do this and they'll go very strict. And some people, depending on what they're dealing with, if they're dealing with some like severe autoimmune issue or uh, maybe a, a gastrointestinal problem like Crohn's disease, uh, they need to be very strict or they'll find that they're more, they're, they do better very strict. And some people do better on a higher fat ratio and some people will do better with a more protein-based ratio. But Regardless of how you do that, you know, we, we, we look at the results and I would say for most people, because it's, uh, you know, we kind of, I kind of use it initially, let's say, let's assume that nutrition plays a role in, in, in your health issues. And I think that's a very safe assumption. Let's just say that's true. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out what is it in my nutrition that is causing issues. And so we use this as an elimination diet and we minimize the variables. If I say, just go eat, you know, beef and some salt and some water that's very few variables you're dealing with from a dietary standpoint. And then it becomes very quick to figure out, Hey, maybe surprisingly all that spinach 
that big giant sounds I'm eating with all the oxalates and maybe that fiber was really irritating my gut. And maybe, I know we think that vegetables are, are, are immune from, from some criticism, but maybe, mm-hmm. just maybe in my situation, that was, that was a problem. And I can tell you, having seen thousands of people do this, they see that sometimes they could, those vegetables, that, that high amounts of fiber and vegetation cause a lot of GI issues, bloating. That spinach, kale, you know, broccoli, IBS, Brussels sprouts, medicine. they have these toxins. And I know uh, Dr. Paul Saladino talks about it, but Dr. Gunthry, is that his, that's how you say his name? Yeah, Gunthry talks, he likes to talk about lectins, which are one of lectins. many that are out there that do seem to have a bit of a problem. But uh, and, and that's a topic. We could talk about that for quite a while. And these there, plants, just for anyone listening, they, they have these properties to protect themselves from being eaten, right? I mean, they, they're designed to make us not feel good, so we don't want to eat them. Is that basically, in a nutshell, why plants may have this effect on us, right? Sure. I mean, if, we, if, if I ask you to go outside, and I think you're in San Diego, if I say go outside yeah. and start randomly eating leaves off trees, <laughs> you're going to get sick very, very quickly. And so yeah. the vast majority, something like 98 0.5% of all plants on earth, if humans eat them, we get acutely ill. I mean, and that's get, 98% of plants on earth. All plants will make us sick. Will make us sick. And so, so or, you these know, two percenters who are, this is the, what we see well, in the grocery store, been, right? This is what we've been able to cultivate. And obviously through years and years and centuries of cultivation, we've bred these, these, these uh, fruits and vegetables to be safer, less toxic, toxic for us to eat. They don't make us acutely ill. Um, and for many people, many people are out there fine. I mean, there are people who live on plant-based diets. There's lots of populations that are relatively healthy eating this. But for some people, and it's actually surprising more people than you think, some people, high chronic amounts can cause things that you wouldn't expect because we don't test for these things. We, we look at when we, when we test for a food, if you look at the food testing, it's all about acute toxicity. You know, if I eat a bunch of cassava or I eat a bunch of raw unprocessed cashews or if I eat a bunch of raw you know, kidney beans, those will kill me, right? Wow. Say so, that one more time because I know clients that have cassava root, have these chips, they have these new right, chips, right. the siete chips made in avocado oil, which isn't as bad, but siete makes it out of cassava and cassava is a better form of corn, they say, but how much better is it? Because corn is also inflammatory, but go back to what you were saying. Well, about again, toxins. They're, they're one of the most, one of the most common food poisoning and deaths in the world is, is due to cassava, depending on how it's prepared. So if you don't get your processing just right now, I'm not saying people in the United States are eating cassava are going to die from eating that, but you know, if we don't process it right. And humans early on didn't know how to process this. We had to figure it out through trial and error. And so when we're saying we're taking, we're taking these foods and we're removing the toxins enough so they don't kill us and we're decreasing the levels. But what is, what happens if we eat it at 10% over a period of years? Do we have subtle autoimmune issues show up? Because we don't know what causes these autoimmune uh, diseases. I mean, there's people that speculate, there's evidence that maybe, uh, you know, problems with the gut, are, are leading to that for various reasons. And like so leaky gut, but, things like leaky, that. Yeah, yeah. Leaky gut, which is a controversial, some people believe in it. Some people don't. I think there's pretty good evidence that it, that it definitely exists. Mm. What does it do to people? There's a lot of people that think that, that, it, that it leads to autoimmune diseases. And so we don't really know. And, and all these autoimmune diseases that are out there and there are thousands of them. And people, when you go to the doctor, like what causes it? I don't know. Bad luck, genetics. Yeah. No one yeah. thinks about food. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm seeing is people are reversing autoimmune diseases by clearing this stuff out of their diet. And to me, that's really, really, I think that's a really, really huge observation. Now, um, back to the to implementation of the diet, because I know yeah. about that. So, you know, what I tell people at the, at the beginning, you know, 
a lot of us fail on our diet because we can't resist the pizzas and the cakes and the cookies and the things like that. It's and we're hungry. Maybe it's a combination. It, well, we're hungry and that's why we want to eat this because it tastes yep. good. I mean, the food, food companies know it and they make it that way. Yep. And so when you tell somebody, hey, go be hungry and eat food you don't like, go eat a bunch of kale. It doesn't work well for me. It didn't work for me. It, didn't, it wasn't sustainable for me. So now when I tell people, hey, how much do you need to eat? Well, go eat a nice bunch of eggs and some steak, maybe some, some bacon, uh, you know, something you enjoy. You know, you got to enjoy it. Okay? Sure. Eat it and more. we're built to, to enjoy the flavor of rich foods that have these right. nice right. healthy fats, well, right? From at, half you, a million years ago. Right. You look at like the French culture, which fat is a huge yes. part of it, and they have low traditional rates of heart disease. You know, there's a the French paradox and there's all these paradoxes. And they eat butter. Yeah. They do all this stuff. Right. right? So yeah, you enjoy yeah. this stuff. It satiates you. How much do you eat? People ask me, how much should I eat Dr. Baker? I tell them, eat enough so you don't want to eat cupcakes. And I, and I know that's kind of a flippant answer, but it really, <laughs> about it, it yeah. really, really makes sense. And if, I, and if you do that long enough, after a month or two, you don't want those anymore. You literally, and because you know, people say, well, it's so restrictive just eating meat and stuff like that. But what happens is it becomes very liberating. It becomes very freeing because you're no longer you know, a slave to your cravings. And you can, you can literally be hungry and walk by that plate of cookies or whatever your, 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 your favorite food is and say, hey, I'm okay. I don't need this. I can wait till I get home and I can eat something that's going to be more nutritious for me. And mm -hmm. that is literally like a superpower. Now, long-term, a lot of people will do the diet. They'll eliminate. They'll figure out their health issues. They'll, they'll, they'll fix the relationship with food because we're no longer eating for entertainment or for stress or for boredom or all the very various reasons that we eat that aren't for nutrition. And they fix that. And then they might find that, hey, I don't need to be 100%. I can be 90%. Mm. I can eat, you know, mostly meat, get my nutrition from this, and then maybe have a square of dark chocolate, or I might have an avocado, or I might have some berries, or I might occasionally have that, you know, that piece of bread. That's fine too. But I mean, at the end of the day, we want to be healthy people. And, and that's, you know, that this is, you know, what I'm doing. And this is a, such a powerful tool. And it's such and a simple diet. It really is, it is. Because if you think about it, in essence, tell me if I've got the basics of it, is you put, put on pause for a while, these plant-based foods, just put on pause. 98% of us are going to, or 98% of them aren't even something we can ingest. So the 2%, you're only putting 2% of the plant world on hold, put them on hold and then focus in on eating. Now are we saying avoiding, because I know it's carnivore, so we could do chicken, we could do eggs. I like eggs. I've seen you do these egg scrambles, which are, or yolk scrambles, which I really like. I've been doing that to kind of cheat a fast a little bit because it's higher fat, less protein, save the protein for later. But regardless, is it just beef? Is it, is it grass fed? Let's get into that a little bit because I know grass fed can be $20 a pound or, you know, it's expensive. And then if you go to Costco, they have both sometimes. And I try always to get the grass fed beef patties are frozen. They're very affordable, but not everyone has Costco. Not everyone can get them. And sometimes they sell out and they have all the other meat out there. And I, and I like your perspective on, thinking of, of how to do it. But in essence, it's a meat-based diet with our favorite thing here, beverage water, right? <laughs> Is that, yeah. it, give us the basics. So it's meat, you eat enough until you're not hungry, drink water, 
And am I missing a part of the diet? Is that kind of the essence of it, right? Uh, yeah, the basics. Could, uh, yeah, that's the basics. I mean, water. Some people will still keep coffee and tea, and I tell people, you know, because it, it, you know, it can be difficult to. Because I drink a little coffee here. I have a little coffee with butter in it. That's yeah. how I kind of cheat a fast with the, the healthy a, fats. A lot of people will still continue drinking coffee and do just fine. There's some people. Yeah. That, I don't. I don't recommend people dump coffee until maybe two, three months in, and they can experiment to see if it's going to be beneficial or not. But yeah, I mean, it's basically just eat meat that you enjoy yeah that you can afford it and this is let me just i don't this is this is maybe a topic for a, a, another discussion but let's start it please yeah when we, when we talk about you know meat quality how it's raised you know yeah. how you know humanely environmentally sound it is to be raised there are clear differences in you know like for instance regenerative agriculture which is even mm-hmm. beyond what grass-fed is grass-fed just means the cows eat grass and they can be grazed any way you want when we're talking about regenerative agriculture these cows are grazed in a specific way which causes increased biodiversity and causes improvements in the soil quality it actually restores the environment it actually puts more carbon into the ground than it takes out which is you know there's some decent estimates out there from researchers who are doing this. And if we can get 30 to 40, 40% of our livestock production in a regenerative fashion, we could completely eliminate all greenhouse gases from all industries in the United States and become net carbon wow. just by doing that. Uh, but so I am hugely a, a proponent of that aspect of the environment. The regenerative. Yes. And the regenerative. And I try to encourage people, if you can support that in any way you can, if you can afford to do that financially, that is important. Now, having said that, because this isn't veganism, this isn't ideology. When it comes to human health, mm-hmm. and I've been doing this pretty much longer than anybody as far as you know, observing populations and doing surveys and seeing what people are eating. So I have, you know, I've got a survey that 12,000 people in 24 hours responded, and I asked them, are you eating grass-fed? Are you eating you know, this and that? And what we see is there's no difference in health outcomes in, in a general sense uh, on people that are eating grass-fed versus what they can afford in the supermarket so far. Now, um, there are specific people that will say, hey, I feel better when I eat a grass-finished animal, and that's fine. You can experiment with that, but just to make a general swooping observ- you know, a recommendation that mm-hmm. everybody needs to do grass-fed to be successful in this diet would, would be a tremendous disservice to Not all true. people yeah. that don't need to do that, particularly the people that can't afford a lot because you yeah. My goal is to help not just people that are wealthy, because I think those guys are fine. I mean, they're, you know, wealth is already, you're already going to live longer just because you're wealthy. I mean, we know that. Yeah. Any, any study out there that doesn't discriminate for socioeconomic status, you know, completely, you know, is not even comparing apples to apples. It's, it's a completely different comparison. So for the, the struggling person, the people that doesn't have a lot of resources, go to the grocery store, buy ground beef for three bucks a pound, throw some eggs in there. That will work the vast majority of people you don't have yeah, to eat put eggs into the meat and mix it in there yeah whatever what i mean whatever to add a little more extra fat right this is this is yeah. how you enjoy it you know and then the same thing you know, like, like meatballs really all that yeah, yeah you can do you, there's so many ways you can do this and you can do chicken you can do you know, ch- you know chicken thighs you can do you know eggs are cheap you know ground beef is cheap you can buy in vault bulk if you can if you've got a freezer contact a local farmer or oh. rancher you know, buy a half Freeze a cow. It. You can get it for six bucks a pound. Wow. You can even get grass fed sometimes for that. So there yeah. are so many ways to do this inex- you know, in, uh, you know, inexpensively. And for many people, they actually see their grocery bill go down because they just don't eat as much volume. They don't waste yeah. as much food. All those healthy organic fruits and vegetables where half of it ends up in the trash because you didn't mm-hmm. eat it fast enough, mm-hmm. you're not wasting that money anymore. All those supplements that you were buying, you're not going to need those anymore typically. 
Um, so there's, you end up actually saving money. You know, you don't produce as much trash. You don't produce as much waste. I love it's, this. It's, it's a really uh, effective, efficient way to eat. And then you just find the, the weird thing is, you know, and it sounds like weird when you're, when somebody's talking about it and you're like, how could I ever give up bread and pasta and all these different things? Yeah. Your taste literally changes. And when I'm mm-hmm. sitting there, when I'm thinking about I'm hungry, all I want to eat is, you know, some kind of meat, you know, whether it's a steak, I, I yeah. you know, I tend toward eating a, a nice ribeye steak and salt it up, sear it real nice, cook it medium rare. And I'm just salivating. I'm literally salivating for yeah. it. I a hundred percent enjoy every meal I sit down to. I'm not lamenting the fact that, Oh darn, I've got to eat another, another steak. Um, you would think it'd become a little boring, but if anything, it just gives you that. It's like a, it's like a hit of, of satisfaction, a hit of control. It gives you, how do you describe it in a positive way? Because it's not boring. It never gets old for me. And and so many people that do this, it is viscerally and primally satisfying. It's almost like- That's it, it's primal. It's almost like, 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 I mean, I'll I'll use the analogy of sex. I mean, this is something humans are designed to do. It is Ah. inherently pleasurable. It is like, you know, when you eat, uh, you know, it's it's kind of wax poetic here, but when you eat a beautiful, well-cooked, fatty you know just delicious steak yeah no it's like comparing like you know the great classical music versus you you eat some little junk food uh flash in a pan it's like pop music you know it's like yeah things are these things have the test of time and meat has stood the test of time you know uh uh talks about lindy things that have stood the test of time Meat's one of them. And these, yeah. you know, these, when, you know, what do we get? We get the different flavor of potato chip or different flavor of, of beverage because they have to keep reinventing flavors to keep us engaged. But you don't have to keep reinventing the flavor of a steak. I mean, it, it always will satisfy. It's timeless. Yeah. And, and it's, it's such a primal, yeah. I, I think the metaphor you use is so simple, but it's so true. We have these natural DNA built in. It's just the way we are as a species, you know, from having sex to eating to sleeping. I mean, it's just yeah. a part of what we crave. And when we don't get sleep or we don't have a libido that's alive or, you know, and we, we eat food that doesn't satisfy us, we end up broken, it seems. And uh, so with that said, I know we got to do another one of these i mean i really uh i'm excited with this but can we do do you mind if we end with some rapid questions some rapid fire questions i've got a couple here from clients and i love how we were talking about um ways to measure our our health you talked about uh simple ways i mean we're not going to get into blood tests and any of that for people to measure because people know how to do that right now but what are some simple ways you know for me it's been waste measurement I've, i've dedicated my whole career to really giving people kind of like you, a peak performance energy in life through my, 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 my way to gauge it was a waste, a smaller waistline, you know? And so I've done that. A lot of my books have been called like the belly fat cure, the this, the that. And uh, if that is something you agree with, let us know. And then if, the, if there's a test for men, I know you talked about when they wake up, they should have an erection <laughs> for women. I don't know what the, the, the example would be. Give us a quick, rapid uh, solution to measuring health. If right now someone feels unhealthy and they're not sure if they are, what's some simple ways that they don't have to go see a doctor as much as your doctor to find out if they're healthy or not. What are some simple gauges? Yeah. First of all, like I said, I think labs can be effective. They have to be put in clinical context and we have yeah. to know the whole situation. There's more nuance to that. So I think just a blanket look at a lab is, is not that particularly insightful unless you know okay. everything that's going on. But agree. I 100% agree with you. Waist to height measurement, belly circumference uh, relative to your height is a wonderful, wonderful tool. It is probably one of the most 
cheap and effective tools for screening people for general health. So, I mean, as, as a human being, your waist should be at minimum less than half of your height in inches and waist in inches or centimeters, however you want to do that. And probably getting closer to around 45% is probably closer to ideal. So that is really good. It predicts insulin resistance. It predicts mortality. It predicts, you know, so many things, heart disease. Um, So that's a cheap one. Um, Easy. And we can all do that. Men and women. Yeah. You can all do that. Yeah. You can all do that. Get a tape measure guys. It's simple. Yeah. Yeah, And it's half. Tell us one more time. Half the, the, you know, at least uh, your waist should certainly be no more than half of your height and, and, and closer to like 45%. So give us an example. If I'm six foot foot uh, tall, if you're six foot tall, no more than 36 inches and probably better around 34 inches. And that's measured at the belly button. You know, I mean, that's not your gene size at the belly button. Okay. And pull pull the belly button in, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, just relax. Just no, just relax. Just Just relax. relax. Relax and take that take that measurement. Sometimes right. you might need somebody to measure it for you. There you go. Um, I think that you know there are some I think tests out there like a coronary artery calcium scan and a carotid intermediate thickness when we're looking at vascular health. That's a better measure of actual disease, which is a better measurement than what's my cholesterol or so on and so forth. But sure, without going to the lab and doing that, things you can measure. You know, like we talked about. You know, as a male, I don't care how old you are, you should wake up every day with an erection or almost every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm going to say I'm in my, I'm 53 and I wake up that way every day. That yep. is a function. Uh, that is a measurement of what's going on with your vascular health. And that's just good health. I mean, right. it's, it's not that health. you're sexual or wanting to right. have sex. Maybe you are, right. but it's not about sex. It's just the way the body, people healthy. are thinking, oh, that's so sexual. It's not. It's just the, it's the way the human male body is, right? And, and a female body too. Humans are designed to have sex. I mean, this is, this is part of being a healthy human, you know, yeah. and, and uh, again, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe when you're a hundred and you don't wake up that way, it's time for you to go perhaps. But, <laughs> but even yeah. at 99, you could have an erection yeah, for the gentleman could. out there and you, you should could. strive for this sure. it, upon rising, you wake up and there it is. You say, good yeah. morning. So your friend is there. I think for the, the now, ladies, what's the equivalent or is there something different maybe, or is well, it the waist measurement the, maybe? The, 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 with, for women, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, it's kind of odd that well, guys wake up in the morning, they want to have sex because they have erection. Maybe women don't do, don't, yes. don't perfectly don't. correlate with that. It may not be the best time in the morning for women, but I think women in general, I think just a general libido. I mean, I think, you know, you should feel like you have decent libido. And I think that's important. Again, that's even just, after perimenopause or absolutely. What you, absolutely. Really? Yeah. There's, so there's in their fifties and sixties. Oh yeah. Of course there are women that are in their fifties, sixties, seventies and has still have active and, and very satisfying sex lives. So that is another measurement. Now they have some additional challenges because of the hormonal shifts, but still the physiology, the blood flow, because just like men, you know, they have, their erection is based on blood flow. Women have a blood flow events that occur as well in their anatomy. I don't have to get into yeah. details on that, but yeah. that does occur. Um, other things, you know, it's just mood. How do I feel? Mm-hmm. If I wake up every day and I'm tired and, and, and maybe not tired isn't mood, but I mean, just how do you generally feel about life? I mean, mm-hmm. do I look forward to waking up every day? Do I look forward to that? And my general sense is what humans should be is we should generally be kind of just relaxed and happy. I mean, generally like relaxed and happy. So calm, have, calm, happy. Calm and happy is, I think, a good place to be. And I think that has to do sometimes with what's going on with our glucose levels because we know we're on a glucose-dependent, high-carb roller coaster diet. We see our blood glucose go up and down, but we also see our mood go up and down often to parallel that. You see what happens to kids. You put kids, you hop kids up on sugar and they go crazy for a while and then, they, then they become sullen and moody. So if people are experiencing anxiety, panic attacks, a lot of times, and this is like the joints, they don't talk about the true source. 
if you go into more of this kind of a diet that we've been talking about, it can cause this calming, happy effect, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that should be the way it should be one of the, without Prozac. Yeah, one of the most common uh, things that's noticed on this diet for many people, people suffering with lifetime bipolar disorder, it's debilitating depression, even suicidal depression, anxiety, crippling anxiety, is that goes away. Uh, pretty significantly wow. for many people, which is another, I mean, like, and this is like life altering to hear that. Say, say one more time, Dr. Baker, because this is so, so important. Yeah. There are people that are suffering from severe mental health disorders, whether it's crippling anxiety, suicidal depression, post-traumatic distress disorder, uh, or post-traumatic distress disorder, bipolar disease, and so many others that get profound benefits from mm. changing to a diet like this. I mean, and this is something that, you know, there's researchers in Harvard, Chris Palmer is one of them, that's doing this research and it's showing that to bear out to be true. And so I think this is, again, this is another thing, but I, back to our original, like how do we assess health? Mental health is a huge part of it. Mm. And our brain physiology is just like any other organ. It is, it, it is influenced by what we oh, I like that. lifestyle yeah. is. What yeah. we that. It's not special in a sense that it's, it's secluded from our physiology. There is a blood-brain barrier, but we're still affected by those things we occur. And when we have chronic inflammation, uh, when we have glucose, poor glucose homeostasis, all of those things, and, and also nutrition, certain nutrition uh, we're lacking when we're on a, you know, a, a, often a carb-based, grain-based diet, we're lacking brain-critical nutrients. That mm. So when we go on these meat-based diets, we get better glucose control, we get less inflammation, we get better nutrition for our brain health. And we see time and time again, I cannot tell you how many thousands of people I've now seen that say, my mental health has just done a 180. I'm so much happier. Uh, and then, again, this is part of why going from just orthopedics where I'm fixing knee replacements now yeah. people that are depressed and they're no longer depressed and they're back in life. They weren't on the sidelines. You know, like I said, life is not a spectator sport or, you know, I mean, or life is, is yeah, it's not a spectator support sport. So when you're on the sidelines watching, I mean, you've already lost. You've yeah. Lost yeah. So when you're, when you've got crippling anxiety and you can't participate in life, I mean, gosh, it's so miserable. And so this isn't one way that I've seen that's been very powerful. To this is incredible. I mean, I, I feel like I wasn't thinking in this direction when we started the conversation, but definitely I've been applying this diet to myself. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I will, um, I, I do intermittent fasting for the most part. And you eat, I think you follow kind of an intermittent fast as well. Is that right? I mean, that was a question a lot of people had about intermittent fasting in this diet. And I think our ancestors did that to some high degree. They weren't eating night and day. But what are your thoughts briefly on intermittent fasting and how do you do it? Absolutely. I think that uh, if we go back to ancestral health, I don't think the, uh, the likelihood of us being able to stop and snack every two to three hours while we were nomads uh, was very implausible. I mean, yeah. you think about it, you're, you're, you're walking in a band of 20 people and, and you're complaining you're hungry to the leader of the group. He's not going to stop and pitch no. a camp and you know no. light a fire every every three yeah, hours. you had your meal at night when you caught yeah. it or you had yeah. it fresh or whatever right yeah. yeah and so i think i think that's more consistent with our evolutionary past you know again that's still speculative but that's my thought but i you know i think that infrequent eating is probably better for most people uh to, you know, specific athletes may have a different requirement, but for the average person, infrequent meals are probably better than what we have the snack culture. When I was a kid, when I came from, came home from school and this is, you know, in the early 1970s, Hey mom, I'm hungry. The answer was not, here's a granola bar. The answer was wait till dinner. 
And that's what I did. And 1950s, you know, yeah, we don't have to go back 500,000 right. years, but we right. were smarter 50 years ago. Right? right. So the snack culture is a problem. So yeah. what happens to me is I eat my steak and eggs for breakfast and I just don't want to eat. I am not hungry. I is that the one snack. meal you do in the morning? Well, it could be two. I mean, I'd say, I'd say most of the time it's two meals. Uh, but, uh, I'd say, and so you, you know, rise briefly, you get, you get up, you do your workout or do you eat? Yeah. I typically, usually... work, out. I typically work out early fasted most times. That's what know. I recommend too. Yeah. And then I will eat a, you know, a, a fat protein based meal of some sort, you know, animal based and your eggs I, and your steak. Yeah. Yeah. Or something along those lines and, or may just be a steak and a steak or might be a lot of eggs or something, depending on the day I, I, I yeah, mix it up a little bit. And then I maybe eat again at 5 p.m. or something like that. And, and that's it for me. Yeah. Um, so and then that a, meal will be also something similar, similar something another steak. Similar. Sure, sure. Something, something like It that. might be seafood. It might be some salmon. I don't know. It just depends what I'm in the mood. I, you know, like I said, I certainly will use variety if I want to. But I mean, most of the time I just want to say because it just it always tastes good to me. What but, are your thoughts on, uh, just briefly, and not to interrupt, but uh, of using egg yolks? Because I know you, you do an egg yolk scramble. And yeah. A lot of my clients try to eat in a in a time restricted window, you know, and they sometimes want to eat uh, something to hold their fast off in the morning. And I've been suggesting that they, you know, obviously I've you know like I've been having a little coffee with butter in it in here. Uh, we've talked about other little biohacks that don't raise insulin so much and are more fat-based and that helps kind of curb appetite. And I don't know if you know the work of Dr. Jason Fung in Toronto, uh, the guy who yeah, does talk yeah, to I've him. Met, I've met Jason, talked to him and interviewed him several times. You know, Dr. Dr. Fung. And so he's given us a few guidelines over some conversations we had to try not to exceed two or three carbs and proteins to break a fast. So that way you can kind of cheat it. Do you feel like an egg yolk scramble would be something that if people are fasting kind of mimics fasting since it's mainly fat or are there carbs and proteins in the yolk? What do you think? Uh, no, I think that egg yolks are, are almost exclusively fat. They're to the level that there's any significant carb or protein, there's going to be minimal. And so, yeah, I think that's a very good way. And, and you're very correct in saying that fat has very little impact on insulin. And so right. it can. And, you know, if you look, depending on who you're dealing with, and again, I think people that are dealing with metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, or flat out diabetes, a fat-based diet is clearly the way to go. I mean, yeah. clearly the way to go. That is how you're going to improve your insulin resistance. That's kind of how you're going to control your glycemia. You're going to get normal glucose values uh, by doing that. And and then and, and, you know, obviously, exercise has a role in there, and the sure, types of exercise sure. play a different role. But that is one because when I because I've got these big populations I deal with every day, and some of them are athletes, some of them are world-class athletes, some of them are just the the the, the people that are suffering from. Yeah. syndrome and diabetes and we treat them people very differently and i think uh it's becoming clear clear to me as i've been longer in this space that a fat-based approach high fat high fat dot 80 90 of your calories coming from fat is what's going to is what's going to fix the, the the diabetes basically and do you suggest what i've been suggesting and, and dr saladino mentioned beef tallow you use beef tallow as well as a fat to cook with or do you just use sure. butter or sure i think uh again we have to my point about dairy some people find dairy inflammatory and so if that's the case then you can you can easily use beef tallow or lard or you can use that comes from the meat itself so not right. not dairy right dairy is right, more right so that's the butters and yeah, creams 
if you were to trim the fat off of a steak and cook it mm. until it was until all the fat was 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 kind of liquefied, and then you would take that and strain it from the solids, that's that beef. would be beef tallow. And yeah. then you can reuse that and cook that and use that as a delicious. And it's delicious, by the way. It is. I've I've been using it too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah duck fat, geese fat, goose fat, uh, you know, lamb's fat, lamb's tallow. All those things are great fats um, that use. And we we used to lard was a very common product in the 1920s well all back through history and lard is beef tallow is that another way to say it lard is comes from from pigs so that's that's a fat from pigs so, so it's tallow from pigs pig tallow right that's or lard not. basically okay, so, so you can lard. utilize that too and a lot of, yeah. a lot of a lot of people traditionally use it. and it tastes really really good yeah um relative to that to, to some of these canola oils and soybean oh oils. yeah and it's not inflammatory i mean that's the magic here it's this ancestral yeah. diet i think this is the take-home for everyone listening and you know I, I want to invite you back so let's just do that and we'll plan on another yeah. conversation because i think there's so much so much so much to talk about and i feel like your work your life's work has become something that's so incredibly simple but so incredibly important and i think that that's what i learned uh more than 20 years ago from Oprah Winfrey, this idea that, you know, if you want to reach large people, because I asked her when I was on her show and I was in my 20s, I said, you know, Miss Winfrey, what do you recommend? I want to help as many people as I can. I was a fitness trainer. I, my dream was to write a book back then. And, you know, I hadn't done a book, but three years later I, I did. And, and it was a training book, exercise book on, on uh, just strength training. And she said, keep it simple. That's all she said. And I can't think of a more simple diet than what you've explained here. And then, you know, as people get to that place, maybe after a certain number of days or a week or two, they can start adding back in certain things that are hopefully low toxic carbs and, and other um, things that they've, uh, they've enjoyed in the past and see how it works and add them in one at a time, I would probably, probably say. And I think maybe that's what we talk about the next time is how sure. to get people to have that, that, um, that freedom and option if they choose that. And I think it'd be great to also in the future talk about how uh, patients of yours have transformed their health outside of what you've talked about. Because, I mean, I can't believe that you were just helping people with uh, knee surgery, hip surgery, these surgeries. And then you, of course, had to have them lose weight. And in this process, they didn't even need the surgery and their mental happiness improved. I mean, so many I don't know if you call them side effects, but they're, they're incredibly important effects. And I think um, I'm just so grateful for your work and what you're doing. And I feel like, you know, the book, tell us the, the title again, where they should get the book. Tell us where they can find you on social and your website. And, and I know you have something that I think is important right now that needs funding. So maybe end on that strongly. So everyone listening can contribute if, if, they, if their heart is able to and their wallets are able to, to contribute to a, a clinical trial you're doing that needs obviously some research money. But tell us how to find you and, and where, where they can find you uh, both on social and on the web and everything, please. Yeah. So uh, the first place there's, you know, our website, meetrx.com, which my, I found it with another, my chief technical author is uh, Silicon Valley. That's MeetRx, right? MeetRx, like prescription, meet and then rx.com. Mm -hmm. I'm there every single day, 365 days a year. Every morning I have a meeting and you're welcome to join in and, and you can talk directly to me. I, I love talking to people. So if Fantastic. I do that every day. It's my passion. That's how I learn because quite frankly, yeah. I learn from people just yeah. like I'm, I'm trying to provide information. Is it a Zoom type of meeting or how do you do it? Zoom and we'll have anywhere up to from 50 to 100 people every day in there. And so we wow. talk to people and we ask them how they're doing. Bright and early, California time, Eastern it's, time, what time do you guys do? 9 a.m. Pacific time that I That's do. Great. And there's all kinds of meetings. There are other people that have other groups that we set up on this platform. So it's a great supportive tool. There's all kinds of information, resources. I love that. that. Use. Um, I'm on, you know, my Instagram, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967. 
you know, several posts a day. Some of it's controversial. Some of it's, so quite frankly, some of it pisses people off. But, you know, it's kind of like when you just kind of be controversial and you get, you get some, that's you get okay. Some hey, so, we can't make everyone happy, you know? Right. And then I've got a Twitter, Twitter S Baker MD, and then I've got a YouTube channel, Sean Baker. Um, the, and we'll put all the links on the show notes. Absolutely. I'm on my site. It. No problem. Of course. Uh, so what we've seen is again, thousands upon thousands of people that have all these transfer and we've got hundred, 500 plus transformation stories on our website at Meteorx. Mm-hmm. You can read all kinds. It's categorized by, you know, diabetes and heart disease and arthritis and depression and GI issues, whatever you want to look at. We have, we have testimonials on the, the power of this intervention, mm. a lifestyle invention, including diet on how that's helped. Um, so we've got this and the criticism keeps coming. Well, there's no randomized controlled clinical trial that proves this. And for many people, they don't need that because they're like, I, I'm willing the to results. listen to results and see it. But for many people out there, particularly physicians who would like to prescribe this for patients, they say, mm, gotcha. and there are many physicians out there that are using it now and getting the same results I'm getting, which is really cool. But many so you're, people, you're starting a, a clinical trial right. to have this option to right. show people like doctors or anyone, the, the, the numbers, if you will, of what the tests would show. And so where do people go to contribute and what's your goal? How much money do we need to raise to, to finish right. this? So to do a clinical trial of reasonable quality, which is what we want. We don't want to put bad science yeah. out there. Yeah. We need probably about $200,000. And so we're about yeah. a third of the way through. We started raising a little over a week ago. So we've already got you know, almost $70,000, which is pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. My social media links will have the, the uh, uh, GoFundMe uh, a link and I can send that to you so you can link to this. Please. Yeah. We'll, we'll put um, that in the show notes that people can go to. And so, you know, it's whatever people can kick in, you know, if we get, you know, a hundred thousand people to kick in two bucks for there. So hey, it's uh, done. It could be two bucks, right? right? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, we're, we're happy for anything. And you can read again, if you just read through the people that have contributed, they will say, this has changed my life. I wow. want, you can just read testimonials on the, on the GoFundMe. And you're leading this, the study. You'll be leading it, yeah? I or do you, be, do you so hire a team? We'll hire a team. I'm not a professional researcher. Yeah. I want this to be the best quality study possible. So I'm not a, I'm not a researcher. So I'm not yeah. going to mess the study up. Yeah, no. And you've got, your, you've got your day job here. <laughs> right. We're going we're gonna to hire, and we've already got several researchers that are super excited to do this study. They're high quality, well-known That's researchers great. that say, if we get the money, I'll do the study. And so- you know, we, we're going to have a really high quality randomized controlled trial that will, you know, and again, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I can only speculate based on what sure. I've seen, but we're going to design it so we can show, you know, what we hope to show, uh, you know, and, and have it be truly a randomized, real true science, not nutritional epidemiology where we don't know what the inputs are. Uh, and so if we can, if we can do that, then it'll give more and more physicians the power to do this or prescribe or just, this, yes. yeah, prescribe yeah. this or just other people that yeah. are, um, skeptical to at least have that to try it, and then we can change more lives. And, hey, and like no, I the said, science that, is important. Yeah, it is. It is. And, so and if people want to do this, go to meetrx.com. They can is do there that. a link we, there, we have, or there's a, there's a link on the front page. And if they Google too. it, what's the name of this? The, the funding at GoFundMe. You said. So, so if you go to GoFundMe.com and you look under Carnivore Clinical Trial. Okay. Uh, if you type in those two things together, you, you should find the, uh, the the link for that. And we'll again, provide I'll, the link I'll, as well at yeah, yeah. yep. Wonderful. Well, I'm I'm just so excited. I feel like uh, 
I feel more more confident and more because um, I've been you know since Mark Sisson had this talk with me a few months ago you know before uh, COVID got really going and we caught up and then we did these podcasts and then I met Paul Saladino and now talking to you I feel like the picture is getting brighter and it's getting more clear and if anyone who's been listening to all these conversations has questions you guys know you can also text me you can email you can reach out to us but please I mean I know we're going to have a lot of great questions. Uh, Dr. Baker, and I'm just so, so, uh, so happy that you were able to make this time. I didn't realize we, we spent so much time talking here, but this is a, definitely a topic well worth it because out of my whole career, as much as I'm a trainer uh, by trade, you know, the biggest question people want to know is what do I eat? <laughs> Number one question, give me a food list. What do I eat? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we will have to work on seeing if we get Oprah to turn her, change her tune a little bit. On well, me. you know, I, you know, Miss Winfrey, she has a new, a new show that just was announced for Apple uh, on Apple TV. And, uh, you know, she's going to be needing guests on that show. And, you know, I bet uh, a lot of this work is something a lot of women uh, as much as I know you primarily work with, uh, with uh, people in your field, athletes, and I'm not saying women aren't athletes, but the women I've worked with have been people like Miss Winfrey for so many years, last 20 years, and you know, from their 30s to 40s, now they're in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. I feel like what you're sharing, not enough people uh, in this world that um, you know, I, I really contribute my career to Oprah that, that have been following her and my work and Dr. Oz and all that. I don't hear this enough in that community. You know, I, I hear it in, in, in the biohacking community. You hear about it in the CrossFit community. You hear about it in the athletic movement communities. But in the everyday middle-aged type of people, women community, I, I don't hear it enough. And so I feel really honored to have had this conversation because I think there's so many people women particularly that need this information. And, you know, they, you'd be surprised how many of my online clients um, are able to adapt what I share and then their husbands get healthy, you know? <laughs> so it's like this effect and then their, their kids get healthy. And so I see it as a trickling effect. So thank you for allowing me to reach into this uh, new world of, of the, the females and, and not that you don't deal with, with uh, wonderful women already, but get ready for a, a lot more. <laughs> yeah, no, women are, are essential. They, they're the right. decision, nutritional decision makers for the household. They're the health yeah. decision makers. They're critical, critically important people. And yes, women definitely benefit from eating yeah. meat-based diets. They've been told, they've been sold this, you know, salad with salad with a little skinny strip of chicken on, on the, with the dressing on the side for too long. They're miserable. They're suffering. They're hungry. Ah. That's not the right message. So we got. Uh, I'm absolutely. I'm so grateful to uh, to your work, and uh, I know the best is yet to come. And and uh, as Mark Sisson says, he's redefining seventy. He just turned sixty seven, and uh, you know his goal is to hit seventy and, and make it a new a new look, a new feel, a new a new outlook on life. And I know you're, you know, you're just a kid. Like you know, I'm a little younger. I'm forty nine, and and I I look forward to fifty and. I'm sure you're going to look forward to a big, your next big milestone, maybe 55. I don't know. That doesn't yeah. sound like a big deal. Yeah. 60 may do it, but yeah. you know, you got Mark Sisson out there, 67 already. I feel like yeah. 70 is the new number you got to show off at. Yeah, no, <laughs> so we got a while. So we he's got a while. bar and uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's up to the people that come after him to, yeah. to raise it even farther. So I plan on it. Uh, and I love that. It's just going back to the simple Prim, I don't want to call it primal, but the very ancestral basic necessities we used to do, you know, yeah. you pair that with the modern good things that we are doing, you pair the old with the new, then you have, uh, then we yeah. can be like superhuman, you know, yeah. and, and be happy and be super happy, I you know, agree. and not be overweight and in pain and suffering. So thank you. Thank you for providing this for us. And uh, I can't wait to hear the response and uh, until our second conversation. So thank you, Dr. Baker. Appreciate it so much. Yeah. Looking forward to round two. Awesome. You bet. 
Hey, it's Jorge. If you have one more minute, I wanted to address something that I think is super important. And that is if you need help with anything from the show, uh, if you need help about losing belly fat, if you want help about intermittent fasting, if you want help about exercise, interval training, anything at all, uh, I want you to join my Fit Family on text. It's a brand new service I've just launched. And uh, if you really do need help, I want you to text me right now. It really is that simple. You'll be part of my texting family. I have a group of people that I work with via text, and it's all for free. So I'd love you to join. All you have to do is text my uh, Malibu number. It's a 424 area code number. So I'm going to give it to you right now. Jot this down. Or while you're listening, text me right now. I mean it. 424 228 9548. And you'll join my fit family. I'm going to give it to you one more time. It's area code 424-228-9548. Now, it's going to work only in the U.S., so I have to say that if you're listening to our show outside of the U.S., sorry, no international texting yet at least. And uh, But 80% of you in the U.S. should be able to text me. I know if you have T-Mobile, you have to put on premium service or something like that. Uh, but this is free, and I'm going to be giving away a lot of my time on this texting service. A lot of free things like our Belly Fat Cure course will be announced on here. So if you've done my survey, this is how you'll get access to it. Uh, I'll be doing special live stream events only for people in my texting community. And I'll be announcing my next 19-day challenge on there as well. So really utilize this, and, uh, and you'll get first glances from our show as well. So it'll be a great chance for us to connect. And I may even call you and FaceTime you. So it'll be kind of a fun thing. Again, the number, text me. Literally do it right now. Area code 424-228-9548. And I look forward to having you join my fit family. Take good care and God bless. Peace and purpose.